Hi everyone, you are listening to another episode of The Hypothetical. My name is Jillian and I'm your host and producer of the show. Today, I'm super excited to introduce my seventh podcast guest, Cheryl Tan, textile artist, lover of outer space, eternal optimist, and mom of two. Cheryl is the brains and hands behind Beat Bad Wolf. Embroidery, sewing, crochet, punch needling, tufting, weaving, the list never seems to end. Her mission is to convince everyone that crafting can become the love of their lives too. And now, here's the show. I first met Cheryl, I would say maybe two years ago, when I was first looking on Instagram during covid because everyone was stuck at home. And then I remember a friend showing me, oh, you can actually learn how to, I think it was knit embroidery at that time. And I am not a crafty person at all. And I remember doing very badly for home economics when I was in secondary school because I was so bad at sewing and sti- doing basic stitches. But I thought I have nothing to lose since I was stuck at home. And crafting was a hobby at that time that seemed like it would be quite low barrier to entry. And I thought maybe I can pick up something new. So I started following her page and then as time passed, Cheryl started to come up with more workshops and I attended one of them in person. And I went to her first studio at Pulse Hill Terrace. I remember it looking really whimsical and artistic and I was so drawn into how she was able to make something that was so fun looking, also a business. I wanted her to share how she manages to combine her passion with work and how she actually balances both because I shared with her earlier, so little people I know actually truly, truly love what they do. And it is something that not everyone gets to enjoy. Okay, so yes, I'm Cheryl. I go by Beat Bad Wolf. Okay, so a lot of people are thinking, why Beat Bad Wolf? Because firstly, it's a pun. I wanted something my kids can pronounce easily, something that is in everybody's memory somehow. I used the word beat because it was a, a material that I used in a lot of my embroidery when I first started off. During my maternity leave, I was expecting my second child. So it was a time whereby I was a bit bored, in a season of a lot of worries, a lot of things on my mind. I was quite overwhelmed. So embroidery helped me to calm down the stress. So I started on my first personal embroidery stuff 2018. That's how I actually started uploading my works onto Instagram. And that's how it sort of gained the first traction. So I remember looking into Beat Bad Wolf when I was thinking about joining one of the workshops and I remember reading something that Cheryl shared on one of her Instagram posts that she actually never ever considered herself as a girl boss or an entrepreneur or a business owner. Instead, she wants to be known as an artist. And I think that's actually a very interesting mindset to have. Can you share more about why this is important to you? Personally, being an artist is the dream, you see. So that's why I always do prefer if people associate me with being a textile artist instead of a small business owner, girl boss vibes, which is totally not me. I've also looked at some of the older interviews you have done and I noticed there are words like textile artist, display artist, and maybe for people who are not in the art scene or from an arts background, can you share what would you say is the most accurate way to describe your art and share with us a bit more about that form of 
Okay, so basically a little throwback to my days in diploma and degree, I actually did fashion design. So maybe people would think students who graduated from this course want to really be a fashion designer, have their own apparel brand. But I really wanted to do art purely because it was something I really was very passionate about. So when they think of textile, most people would think of fibre. This is my range of what I'm experimenting with every day. All sorts of textile from embroidery threads to yarns or to fabric. Basically, anything that is textile related, mm. I try to really get used to it as a material. So that's why the, the term textile artist is something that I feel labels me exactly the way I want it to be. I see. Mm. And you mentioned something very interesting when you were in NAFA and doing fashion design. You mm. never really thought so much about the practical aspects. Mm. It was just purely because you enjoyed it. Maybe if I want to throw even further back, mm. when you were in the primary, secondary stage, when do you realise that, oh, maybe this whole poly JC thing is not mm. for me? We are the same age. And I think at that time, trying to tell your parents that you don't want to go the more conventional way of studying is strange. Mm. Especially if there's... I would say open inverted commas, nothing wrong with your grades. Mm, right? Oh. If you can go poly, if you can go JC, why you don't go? I think there was still that oh, mentality. So now I think it's much better. Yeah, okay. So even beyond NAFA days would be maybe primary school days. So my grandma was someone very close to me since young. So she did a lot of crochet. She taught me sewing, cross-stitch, a bit of embroidery here and there. So I think it was then when I felt, eh, I really wanted to learn what she was doing. And so she taught me very happily as she aged and I, and I grew older. So a lot of time was actually spent doing crafting, talking about craft and whatnot. So I felt this whole passion, it sparked and started. That was maybe the starting point of it. And then the journey felt very natural all along. So primary school, I did a lot of craft stuff, gifts for friends. Wow. Like during exam period, during Christmas, during birthdays, I would always, always make things for them. I'm yes. sure you were one of the rare ones, right? <laughs> because it's not very common for young kids to be that handy, to mm. draw and doodle. Most of us would do that as a kid. But to actually be using a needle and sewing. Mm. I think the only exposure I got to it officially in school was we had to finish a cross-stitch for art class. You literally follow the crosses <laughs> yes, on the cloth. Correct. Very safe. So, did you ever at one point when you were growing up realise, <laughs> oh, I'm a bit weird? Or, this is not common? <laughs> or, why don't more people do this? Because to you, your yeah, grandma does it all the time. So maybe to correct. you, it's natural. Yeah. But do you ever wonder, hmm, how come nobody else in my class oh is my into God, I've it? I've never once thought about this, I really. It, for me, it's a very singular direction. It's not that I don't overthink. I do overthink, but when it comes to following your heart, right, just really follow all the <laughs> Maybe would you say for you, you are quite intuitive to your own um, internal direction? Yes, yes. I'm maybe in a way stubborn sometimes, but I'm very sure of what I want. I will just go ahead and do it. Yeah, there's no thoughts or any little voice in my head that says oh maybe I shouldn't there, there hasn't oh, once wow. been something like that yeah so I've been all the way just going my path naturally wow okay I'm very <laughs> jealous of such people because I feel I'm the total opposite mm. I tend to have to quell the questioning voices mm. that come from myself also which is funny that mm. they both come from me I think it's very interesting that you were so focused and you just knew that was what you wanted to do it's easy to do something as a hobby. Correct, correct. We all have hobbies. And yes. I think many people in Singapore, in fact, love crafting oh, as a hobby. Yes. Even at an adult age, I still have many friends who are super interested in what Cheryl is doing with Big Bad Wolf. So I know that maybe among the female population at least has a natural interest mm. in the crafts. But to convert that fascination slash hobby into a possibly professional long-term decision, even mm. from the secondary school to NAFA stage, 
How did you make oh. that leap? It's an accident. Basically, when I went into NAFA wanting to do fashion design, my idea was just that I wanted to be in the fashion industry somehow. So you enjoyed clothing also? Oh yes, correct. But uh. my grandma also liked to sew, make garments and stuff. So I also had this passion for sewing stuff. That's why I steered towards fashion design as my diploma and my degree. I also knew that I wanted to be in that industry, but I don't have a specific career path for myself. I didn't think... Oh, I wanted to open an apparel business. I didn't think that I want to uh, be a fashion stylist or anything. I just wanted to be in that industry somehow. Mm. So at, when I stepped into the workforce, I was very open-minded. Yeah, really, really. I didn't have a set goal, a fire ah, plan. Okay. It was, stuff. You can just see yes. the general direction, yes, but you don't have mm, a specific correct. end point. It's always very fascinating for me to meet people <laughs> who are very focused and very sure of their passion. Mm. Because I always tell people that I went to JC because I couldn't commit to one thing mm. at such a young age. I have a sense mm. I might enjoy XYZ, but to make the call at 17 seemed too scary. Mm. And so I always find people who are able to make that call when they are 16, 17, mm. very, very admirable. I mean, it's true. We all can change our minds, right? You can don't do fashion design after yeah, NAFA. Okay, okay. But I think we might feel as a young person, if I make a misstep or if I choose wrongly, mm. it will be a waste or I might regret but what I realised is that sometimes you gotta go with your gut Mm. and if you do feel something is your calling or your talent your gift then honouring it might actually be the best way so that you also don't have regrets I don't think you had any regrets right going down this path (laughs) no never (laughs) never crossed my mind (laughs) until you asked me but how about when Mm. things are tough Actually, not really. Eh, because, okay, so tough in the sense that setbacks are things that I never foresee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of things, I mean, no matter how much I plan and stuff, there will also be things that did not turn out the way I want, especially with having your own business. Setbacks in terms of financial loss, people not like, paying on time and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I'll think of a solution and then move forward from there. But never once have I really thought, like, would this setback really pull down my entire dream? Because I feel my dream is bigger than all these setbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like what I want is more important than all these little things. It's just a little hurdle that I want to get away and get done with. Yeah, so that's how I see all these little setbacks. First, after me, I'm already living in my ideal life and ideal career, I would say. Wow, that is a very refreshing <laughs> approach because I think sometimes it's easy to get lost in the weeds mm. as you're trekking through the forest. You cannot help but feel disgusted by the worms on the ground, annoyed by the branches, hung, feel hungry, feel cold. And that might make you feel like the path or the trek in is not worth it. Mm. So I think what you said about Reminding yourself that if it's not bigger or more important than the ultimate goal mm. or the ultimate dream, then they are just little problems and challenges yeah, to be tackled. Like stepping stones. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So Cheryl also mm. lectures part-time at NAFA, right? Yeah. I wonder if your students come to you for career advice and let's say they are a bit more in touch with their imposter syndrome <laughs> and they were to say, I'm not sure, I don't know if I can or I don't know if the market in Singapore is big enough for fashion. How would you guide them through the process? So I will share with them what I also went through as a student. 
very close to graduation, I also had future thoughts about what am I going to do, uncertainty with the whole career ahead. Yeah, so a lot of times I would advise them to try as much as they want. For starters, know what industry you want to be in. Yeah, whether you want to be in the service industry, retail, or really in the mm. design part of it. And from there, you try different job scopes. So for me, personally, I tried visual merchandising. I did uniform design. I did normal fashion design and a bit of marketing. So I really tried a lot of all this before I felt like I could pick and choose and I could filter what really worked for me, what I really liked, what I didn't like. Yeah, so I feel if you have an industry, that's a good starting point. Then from there on, you try as many job scopes as you could possibly be interested in and then from there, you filter on and ultimately land in the one that suits you the best. I see. Mm. And if you go back to those jobs, right, and you try to explain how did those jobs ultimately lead to Beat Bad Wolf, how would you describe that? Because for some people, they get disheartened. Because maybe I try retail and then it's not it. Maybe I try fashion design, it's not it. Then I try something even more different, like uniform design, also it's not it. Maybe I should just, I don't know, do FMB. you know? How did you sort of keep your mind focused on the dream without getting lost in the weeds, like I mentioned? Yeah, okay, so basically, right, like I said, I entered the workforce a bit more open-minded. I just wanted to be in the industry. I didn't have a solid plan as to what my career would look, uh, would look like. My first job was sort of offered to me right up after I ended this design competition. So I went on to accept this offer. So I did uniforms for like, uh, SMS. Yeah, then, actual uniform, right? Yeah, correct, actual <laughs> so uniform. So from there, of course, as a student, you weren't taught what a job scope entails. I take measurements, I have to do designs, layers with customers. There's a lot of things that the school definitely does not teach you and equip you with. Yeah, so only through the first job, through proper experience, then you really get to know, oh, okay, um, all these things that I've done, what really interests me or what things I wouldn't want to do again. Yeah, so after the first job, I felt that, okay, I really do like the designing part, but I don't quite like um, the aspect of being so up close with customers mm. and going through design processes from scratch to production. Uh. A lot of layers involved. From then on, I decided to try something new totally. My second job was um, quite different, visual merchandising. So what I handled was uh, styling of garments, um, in a department, uh, a clothing store basically at H&M. So I really like it because I didn't have to interact with customers. <laughs> I just had to interact with fixtures. For people who don't know what VM oh, is, give a more easily understood mm. example of what is yes. VM. Okay, so VM is uh, visual merchandising. So basically what you handle is the layout, the display, the attractiveness of a store. You know when people go shopping, they want to see things at certain levels. That's what VM is about. It's making, basically mm. the science behind window shopping. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to make you buy these things. So I have to put them in the most appealing location for you. So VM was when I felt, oh, this is a job scope I like. And I wouldn't want to go back to uniform again. <laughs> so okay, then check. My checklist is there. So I can have a list of oh, what I like, what I don't like. Slowly filling up as I maybe gain more experience over all these jobs. Yeah, so VM was something I thought was a good one. But something happened. My grandma was down with dementia. So I took a little hiatus from working. And then when I had to restart again, I couldn't find any VM mm. jobs. So I just went back to design again. Mm. So this de design job undertake quite a few roles. I had to be a retail assistant 
selling clothes oh, wow. for one day in a week or something like that. Then I have to actually do stock taking. So it's quite different from what it's I... It's really so, retail. Yeah, it imagine. Retail, yeah. Yes, correct. So again, I felt, okay, no, no. I think I'm it's in the wrong one again. Okay. <laughs> then I went back to visual merchandising. Okay. Yeah. It seems like from your journey, what, what was super helpful was that you kept your mind open. Yeah, I think I so. I would say that seems to be the part that made it fulfilling. And I think maybe that's what many people find challenging because mm. when you graduate from school, you always feel like you have to hit the jackpot with your first job. Mm-hmm. Every job you take should move you closer and closer. Oh. But like you said just now, you felt like you got further at some point even yes. though you did more jobs. Correct. And I think the only way to overcome this might just be an open mind because life does not always go out mm, as you plan. In fact, true. life almost never goes the way you plan. Yes. And if you box yourself up, it's torture. Yeah, and I agree. There needs to be some patience. How do you look back at when you were taking stock on your few years and like, huh? how did I end up in a job that's even further than what I... Oh, correct. Yeah. So I'll say this is the wake-up call. So I really love the fashion industry. But when I actually worked in this industry, across these various job scopes, then I realised that, hey, this is actually not really what I wanted. So it was a wake-up call, even though I was in the... Scene. In, yeah, I really achieved my goal of being in this industry. But it just wasn't it for me, yeah, after some time. Okay, mm. so it was helpful, I guess, because it at least yeah. steered you away from what yes, you don't want. correct. Like the checklist, I know what I wanted now and I know what I didn't want anymore. So it helped me filter out what would be my ultimate or my ideal mm. career path actually. You stepped into Beat Bad Wolf because you were embroidering more yes. uh, during your second pregnancy yeah. and you wanted to calm down. That sounded like a hobby statement. Yes, it is. How did it move from, <laughs> once again, a hobby statement okay. into a life decision to yeah. launch Beat Bad Wolf mm. full-time? Okay, so explaining the accident, I was actually doing a personal embroidery upload on Instagram and then suddenly someone asked me if I would like to conduct an embroidery workshop um, oh. at NICE. You know, in the retail, yeah. the local one. Yeah. So this was so, completely random? Yeah, correct. Like a follower? Of uh, your Instagram well, page? I'm not sure if they are followers, but I think they were actively looking for crafters locally oh. to actually run workshops because it was something new. So it's completely inbound. Like, yeah. it just came to yeah, you. Yeah, it just came. So this mm. was a very new opportunity. I've never really thought properly except for side income. Yeah, but this one was more proper in a proper retail space. Most likely you are teaching adults. So you have to be a bit more formal, more professional about your teaching. I thought it's really new, but I was up for it. First, I want to try something. This was the chance I took and then I ended up doing workshops every weekend on top of my Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. I think it was a good decision, it was, even though it was very hectic. My kids were still very young at that time, so your time management is very spot on. You yeah. must be really back to back and plan to, to your best of your ability. Yeah, yeah. So that was a really hard period in terms of struggling and balancing all this. But at one point, I felt I should go on with this side hustle was when I felt more fulfillment in this side hustle than my full-time mm-hmm. job. Like I said, I'm quite aware with how I feel and I'll go right ahead 
to mm. do and pursue things if I know what I want. So at that time, I already felt my full time, something is wrong with it. Mm. Something is not right. I'm not feeling as motivated, as happy, even though I'm in the dream industry that I really would like to be. So this side hustle came as an accident and it also accidentally led me to feel something is brewing here. Something with potential is happening here. So I felt like I should take the chance. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure when you talk about feeling fulfilled, for people who are less in touch with their mm. intuition, how would you try to explain to them what that feels mm. like? I'm guessing, did it come from compliments from your workshop attendees? How would you describe what fulfillment mm. could feel like? Okay, I think for me, because in whatever job we do, most jobs you have to work with people. So when I was working my 9 to 5, I didn't like the fact that there were conflicts, like this agreement between the team. You have to struggle and handle personal relationships with your boss, your colleagues, on top of your job scope. Mm. I really did not like it. Because I'm someone who would like to avoid conflict at all costs. <laughs> if I could, I would just avoid all the way. Yeah, so I didn't like that aspect. Mm. I cannot control the colleagues whom I'm working with, no matter how many times I job hop. So when you meet colleagues who vibe with you is like finding treasure you know it's very it is, hard to find true. yeah so I really was quite tired of this aspect I think it's the personal relationship part mm. not really the job job so this side hustle I'm teaching people and I really like the fact that I'm able to share what I like to do with other people who also have the same interests as me yeah, so I feel from there, the sense of fulfillment was in more positive interactions. Mm. And po- interactions that could somehow never go wrong. Mm. So now you sort of know your yeah. 9 to 5 was not it, and mm-hmm. then you preferred teaching embroidery. Yes. But didn't the fact that you were having your second child soon <coughs> scare you away from launching your own business? Usually that's the mm. yes. phase, right, where mums are like, don't rock the boat. <sighs> take that maternity leave so I didn't want to let go of anything I did my side hustle for 3 years while doing the 9 to 5 so it was these 3 years where I was thinking oh should I quit should I not should I quit should I not almost every day you have this thing so basically it was a struggle number 1 because financially I have to pay my HDB and of course the kids living expenses yeah so financial was the number 1 factor as to why I did not leave my 9 to 5 any earlier even yeah. though you already knew. Correct. So that was one thing which helped me back a little later than usual, maybe. Okay, so mm-hmm. once you found that the financials part was sorted, mm-hmm. then you took the lead. Yes. Okay, right. so you're just waiting for that yes, to be done. Correct. And also, I needed to make sure that the side hustle was steady. And also, Stitch, yeah. I guess not a trend, not one of those oh, fads that yes. come and pass. Oh, because it's not your fault, right? Yeah. And I actually really appreciate Cheryl sharing about waiting for the time to drop out of her Mm. 9 to 5 because sometimes when you read stories of very interesting people and their successors it's easy to think that oh they're so brave they just take the leap but sometimes leaps are actually little hops Mm. it might not be one big jump into the deep dark ocean so Cheryl's case actually is more like she stepped a little bit closer to the edge of the plank Mm. day by day for 3 years until she took that final jump into the water And sometimes I think people chase their dream by withholding their desire first. Mm. It's part of the journey, right? Sometimes chasing your dream, you're not always running forward. Sometimes you have no choice, you have to stay still. How would you help people who are going through that? I already know, Mm. but whether for financial, personal, practical reasons, I have to hold out and stay. Because, okay, easy, I just give up. If I kill my dream then I don't have to be in this limbo, right? So if people are in that same stage as you where they already know, how do you mentally or emotionally regulate yourself during that time? 
mm, I always told myself the time will be right. Yeah, but during that three years, right, I really had so many instances whereby I really did not enjoy my 9 to 5. Exactly, right? so I how do you hold up? Yeah, I cannot yeah. because I really have very practical reasons. Mm. Money basically is the practical reason. So I told myself that, okay, I'm not going to give up on a dream. I'm just going to take baby steps like you said. But I will take a big leap only when the time is right. And there will be a right time, maybe when I save up more from my 9 to 5. Maybe when things are more settled with the kids and the family, then that could be my right time. So mentally, physically, financially, factors of this kind. I feel like people who are limbo is definitely one of these factors. Mm. I think you most likely have to wait until the time is exactly right for you. And then you go ahead. I don't speak for mm. creative people because I'm not creative but I'm guessing that creative people feel very stifled when they cannot express. And mm. I think what she said was also very interesting where she said she just made little little steps. So it doesn't feel like she's completely mm. stuck because I think that's very depressing yes. as an artist to be stuck. But she still did small, small things yes. and move her side hustle such that it can rival her mm. 9 to 5. And grow a little by the day. Yeah. Mm. I think that seems like very, very good practical advice because mm. practicality sometimes does trump mm. your passion. And I think it's a very realistic scenario that she painted for people who might also want to do something like what she did. And they might think that, oh, she, she stumbled into this with no obstacle. Mm. Because even though she said earlier that she has no emotional <sighs> things holding her back, like she was always sure, mm. sometimes, even though you're very sure, life doesn't allow you to take that Correct. step. My yeah. timing wasn't right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you comfort yourself though? Because mm. if your job sucks, right, it's torture. Yes. I have been there before it's and torture. every day feels like an eternity. Mm. The worst mm. part about her situation, I feel, is that she actually knows what she wants to do. Mm. So she's denying herself that while daily going to the grind that she doesn't enjoy. I always say it's the hardest three years that I went through. But once again, I was very sure that I really wanted to pursue crafting and conducting workshops full-time <laughs> from then on. I think the whole reason is because I really love love it so much. I felt this is something that I've never felt before. This sense of awakening. Wow, I really love to do this. I would like to do this every day. So instead of my 9 to 5 being this motivation, I was looking forward to weekends to teaching. And this part of teaching is one thing. But for me, I also constantly try to create new artworks for myself, basically. Personal embroidery, personal crafting time for myself. So that was the one that helped to keep uh, my stress in check. I think that makes sense. If you continue to retain manners of expression mm. that still honours your creativity, mm. then you have the power to push on towards your goal. Because sometimes I think the practicality can wear you down yeah, and make you feel like it will take too long, it's too difficult, I should just do retail or merchandising since I'm not bad at it, mm. it pays me decently. And to that, I have another question. Mm-hmm. So in my job, the struggle that I actually face with is the writer's block. Please. And I wonder, is it real for you guys? Mm. And how do you overcome artist block? Wow, okay. So for me, of course, in a month, there's high and lows, especially with our regular intervals of <laughs> hormones changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I don't really have an artist block, but I really would have downtime. I need time to stop crafting for a little while and then go back into it full force. So one day I'm climbing out the mountain, churning out a lot of craft. Then the next day I want to take a break. So mm. I don't really have a block block because I have a whole list of ideas that I try to write down in my notes. Yeah, it's just a matter of whether my 
mood is in line with the idea. So I feel there's no block, but I have some days I have lesser energy or I have too many ideas. Then suddenly I feel too overwhelmed and I don't do anything. I have more of that issues. Yeah, but I feel like those people with artist block, it could be, I'm not sure if they do too much of it and then they never take a break. A lot of times is really you yourself need to have a break. Mm. <laughs> do other things that is just t- totally different. I think it will most likely come back. <laughs> so to that point, I actually have my best ideas when mm. I'm doing the most random things. Like mm. when I'm showering or or brushing my teeth, I'll mm. suddenly think of an idea mm. that I didn't intentionally go and pursue. Mm. And I realised that can be quite stressful for creative people because mm. you're trying to get better at your craft True. but more time might not necessarily equals to better output yeah correct yeah. So I feel if you know how to work and hustle hard you must also learn how to play hard mm. like do the opposite of it so that there's no set of time whereby you are just stuck in the same choice for words or stuff like that mm. <laughs> so if I were to look into the space of crafting right I think maybe if we look back into five, six years before COVID, crafting was very much still a hobby. First of all, I don't even think I knew anybody I would say who crafted professionally or crafted for a living. Uh, Maybe if someone tell me they were in craft, I'll think that, oh, they own art friend. Uh, They help the craft industry, but they themselves are not producing craft as their job. Yeah, not as many. Whereas now, besides yourself, I actually know a few Mm. people and I think it's awesome that people can actually make a living from crafting. Mm-hmm. But with that, I also realised comes a very interesting trend. So, I got onto book talk and I also oh. got onto craft talk <laughs> because I messed up my algorithm by watching certain videos and I was going down this rabbit hole where there were people, not in Singapore, I think it was either Australia or America, mm-hmm. where there were different crafters or business owners in the crafting oh. space that were accusing people of copying their ideas. Oh, so maybe yes. they will say, oh, this person's Instagram creation, mm. if you look back on the other person's Instagram two months ago, they did something very similar. Mm. And then customers will compare and say, oh, do you think she took her idea or she took her idea? Mm-hmm. And then there's that whole hoo-ha. Actually, I wasn't even interested in all these controversies. <laughs> but then what it made me realise is that who owns art, right? Ah, it's the age-old question of yes. is there truly IP for art? Mm. If there is, then shouldn't everybody have to pay royalties to the earliest, earliest <laughs> painters, right? Because you're all That's taking techniques true. at some point. Yeah, from, right. Then who do you give royalties for sewing? Yes. Should you pay someone for inventing the sewing machine? I don't know, mm. right? Because then there's no end to okay. claiming IP for art. Mm. Yeah, so for you as both a crafter and a business owner, do you fear getting copied or how do you make sure your inspiration doesn't come across or get misconstrued as a copy? Okay, wow. this one I had a really deep thought, many, many, many deep thoughts about this ever since graduating. So of course, when you're a student, you're taught to get inspiration from online, from mm, Pinterest, um, yeah, fashion designers, their runway creations. You're supposed to take their ideas, then apply it into your own designs. So that was the very first, maybe blatantly copying form that we were taught. So I also ran into a lot of these issues and I feel there is no end to this but really it's more your mentality how it changes. So for me at first when I started doing my embroidery art 
I also was very uptight about people copying. I was a bit sensitive about it. Like, hey, this piece looks really similar to mine. And I would get a bit upset. So after many days and months of thinking about this deeply, actually what I was taught in the first place as a student in AFA was to use other people's works as inspiration. And then this cycle will keep going. You are supposed to be inspired by others. And then in turn, others will be inspired by you. And it's a good cycle, a positive one. So right now, I've changed my perspective in a way that I am totally, okay, if someone copies me, I'm totally open because I've put my art out there for everyone to see. And whatever they do with it, whether they're inspired by it or whether they copy and then use it for other reasons, it's really beyond my control. Ultimately, I'm not able to copyright every single thing that I'm doing because I'm also being inspired by other artists who have done the same. Yeah, so I feel my perspective has changed. I'm just taking it with a pinch of salt. But at the same time, my motivation to overcome this is to try to make myself create new art as originally as I can. Uh, I think that would be truer to myself than being tied down to the fact that, oh, other people copy me and they are making money out of what I've created. Yeah, so instead of pondering on that, I'd rather use that time to think of new ways to create art to create it in my own way in my own language and style that's what I try to do Mm. Mm. there's a very famous quote by Oscar Wilde that says imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness as a student (laughs) you are nothing and you are copying the greats in the fashion industry because that's the way you get started and I think if you're being honest everyone took inspiration Mm. from someone at some point and over time, all your ideas will ultimately be maybe 1% from 100 different people. That sounds correct. Yeah, and I think this also unfortunately has to come with time and maturity. Do you agree? Yes. Basically, as a student, you'll be thinking like very blatantly, or oh, this other student has also copied me and stuff. And then your whole mood and your whole mentality will be just harping on this fact. But you're not improving yourself on your end and wasting that kind of energy on what is done is done that you can't change yeah so I feel as you grow from like student to maybe a teacher mindset and then ultimately to something a bit higher like more like mentoring kind of mindset then you will feel that copying is not what bothers you maybe you should seek to be a source of inspiration for others in a way and you should not be offended by people Mm. copying and being inspired by you yeah, yeah. Mm. I think every creator has this issue where they're very sensitive because yeah. they labored to create this look and feel and this expression. <laughs> so you cannot help but be sensitive yes. because it came from such a precious place yes. that you cannot help but feel and now this person will benefit from something that they Correct. didn't put the mm. effort to produce. I heard someone say in the creative space, he said that how he got over the fear or the the obsession mm. was he got better. Mm. And then he realised as he got better, he was not scared of people stealing mm. because he knew in himself these ideas would keep on coming. That's I think true. a lot of the fear comes from insecurity where you are afraid that that one look and feel will be the only thing you oh, can produce that yes. is good for your whole career. Correct. But if you're Leonardo da Vinci, mm. if you're so legendary you know that what you have in you will not stop from this one masterpiece. Mm. You will probably produce 10 more before you die. Yeah, he just focused on himself Mm. so that he never ever feared people copying because you copy this one, I can do 10 more. Yeah, I can do something newer. That's the motivation that you have given me. And also it's true, I think it is a form of flattery, right? Because Mm. no one copies ugly things. Yeah. (laughs) Humans are like that. No one go to Pinterest and pick ugly stuff to model after. It is just something that might take time. 
as you grow older to be able to accept. Mm. And on that note, how about yourself? Do you have certain crafters or certain businesses outside of crafting that you mm. are inspired by? It's not one fixed one. There's many because now social media is so fast. Every day I'm seeing new artists coming up on my page and then new things that they have created that have inspired me. So every day it really changes. Mm. Yeah, so it really does change with my mood as well. Different emotions of the week and then I would be more attracted to different things. Of course, I'm more into textile artist that is the kind of artist who really give me inspiration mm. how do you seek out inspiration mm. you always start with the things that are closest to you so for my very first embroidery series I actually was inspired by my kids and the kind of stories that I would want to engage them in so my kids were the inspiration so I did this space embroidery Malayan it was because I wanted to tell them stories about local heritage and space because my kids were very into space yeah so inspiration comes from people closest to you first before you find and seek more art from the outside world. Mm. Yeah, it's true because you mentioned your grandma also inspired you yeah, to correct. even enjoy yeah, people closest, textile. Mm. Cool. I read in one of your interviews that your love for crafting was weaved into your daily life even when you were mm. very busy. That's how you sort of keep pace with honouring your hobby and passion mm. even though the practical sides of life have to come in. So Cheryl shared that when she goes home and puts her kids to sleep after mm, that she'll yes. go to one corner and, and start sewing <laughs> and embroidering stuff and I was wondering if you could go back in time and you suddenly had zero responsibilities again what would you choose to learn if say the syllabus is completely open is there anything out there that you would want <gasps> okay, to go okay, and get yes, into yes. deeply if, like, obsessively I'm like also? a genius right I yeah. would want to go into space studies somehow I can get into NASA that kind of level <laughs> yeah like that becoming be. an astronaut yeah, yeah that would be it mm. Why? I find that interesting because it is not what I expected. Okay, so basically, I have this very burning question since young and that has never been answered, which is what all the scientists are trying to find out. Are there, you know, different types of world planets? What kind of situation is going on outside of Earth? So it's something mm. that no one really has proper evidence of. And it's something that I always dream of very often. Not just dream like literally when I sleep. I literally dream such dreams like me floating in space like travelling to different planets to to seek out, you know, their, their origin and stuff. So this is something that I would definitely do. Nice. Mm. <laughs> and I think sometimes not everyone gets to honour all aspects of their dreams, mm, but that's true. it doesn't have to not be part of your life. Like, I think sometimes mm. people are quite black and white. If it cannot be my career, it cannot be mm. my job, then Correct. I will give it up. Yes. Which I find very sad when I see friends give up certain things that they are passionate about mm, just because yes, you cannot make money yes, from like you just try yeah. out because yeah. of practical reasons yeah mm. so the fact that Cheryl is honouring her crafting side but also has a deep and yeah. keen interest in a completely <laughs> unrelated topic is yes. proof right that no one person can do every single thing yeah, at the correct. same time mm. even if you are very mm. very free and successful you have to take time for each one to do it well mm. and deeply now it's a good connection to the next point about um, what Cheryl shared earlier about getting her inspiration from outer space, mm-hmm. uh, which was her kids' own interest um, <laughs> yes. that they got into me. as well. <laughs> yeah, they spread their love of the outer space to her. And I think in our generation, maybe you would see that having kids is something that is not very as traditionally upheld as oh. our parents' generation. Mm. Maybe for their generation, I'm guessing also that 
it was a rite of passage. Oh, yes. It's like, how <laughs> no. you get married, yeah. don't have kids, then do what? Yeah. Whereas now, I feel our generation is much more intentional. It's a choice. It, oh, yes. right? It's more, yes, oh, correct. why do you choose to have kids? Yeah. Or why you choose to yeah. not have yeah. kids? Uh-huh. Whereas, correct. I don't think oh, our, the generation sure. before has that mentality. Yes, correct. So, f- for how old you are now, you actually must have had kids when you were quite young. Yeah. Compared to the general yeah, population. Correct. Yeah, and mm. I'm curious, how do you know that you wanted children? I asked because... Usually people who are very focused on uh, their goals uh, and definitely know that they want to become a fashion person uh, or an artist, you are so focused, you will sort of fear that if I have a kid, especially as a woman, no matter how much society progress, women will always bear the brunt of childbearing because scientifically child-rearing oh, yes. will still fall heavily on the woman, especially when the kid mm. is young. Yeah, how do you balance <laughs> that desire and also the fact that you were so sure that there was an industry that you wanted to thrive in and, and go into. Okay, oh. <laughs> so in my mind, when I was younger, let's say, during sec- um, early secondary school, I already knew I wanted... <laughs> children. To, yeah, I, want, I knew I wanted oh. children at a young age. And actually, I also wanted to get married early. Yeah, so from, say, 13, I already had this vague idea that, okay, cross fingers, I hope <laughs> I can get married by 23. Did you? Uh, yes, I wow. did exactly <laughs> at 23. And I also did hope that I could have kids and an early age. So for me, crafting career and family is totally two separate roads. For me, they never mm. intertwine. So I feel they are just very different aspects that I cannot have them overlap each other. Mm. Both are things that I am truly passionate about. I was very sure in my head that I wanted to have a family and a, and a career in something I love, but I never once saw it overlap or mm. burdening each other in any way. I came from a single parent family. Mm. Mm. But I was very close with my grandma and my cousins. So technically, there's a little sense of loss without mm. a father figure. But I had this fun with my extended family. And it was so much fun that I felt that hey, I really wanted a big family. So maybe ah. that was a thought that came into me. Since I don't have a really proper father-mother kind of dynamic. So I wanted more than ah, okay. what I had right now. I wanted a, a bigger family which comes in the form of like, more kids. In fact, I think your family, like your grandma, was additive and helpful to your crafting journey. So you yeah. probably never saw that your family would distract yes, you from crafting. Yes, if anything, it probably is helpful yes, crafting. Um, only my grandma, my mom was also supportive of me taking um fashion design as a diploma. Mm, is she into yeah. crafting oh, or fashion? Do, yeah, she likes DIY. I, I mean, I sort of did okay for my O-levels, mm. but she never pushed me to forcefully use that grades to go a better school. So she was very mm. open-minded, which also maybe led me to being uh, open-minded as well. Mm. Mm. So, what would you say is the hardest thing about balancing your work and your children? Oh, okay. So, the thing about balancing, we only have a fixed time in a day's uh, work. So, I think balancing is about time management and sometimes I don't think to actually prioritize your work more over the other or prioritize your children over the other but it's more like setting aside time so when the kids are in school you have free time that free time is for you to work so when the kids are not in school and then you have personal time with them which you should really make full use of so I feel it's really time management in that sense to have a very good balance between these two important things in your life Mm. yeah and what do you think is one thing that no one or very little people have ever told you that you've learned now about being a working mom. 
Let me see. Okay, so it really is the norm nowadays in mm. our lifestyle. <laughs> we have to chase both financial mm. stability and also a good family, household and mm. stuff. Yeah, I think one thing that no one told me is so many obstacles that you mm. face, especially when you struggle at work and then you have a lot of issues at home. If these two comes at once, it's literally like tsunami really. Yeah, so this is something that no one would tell you about and even if they told you you would not know exactly how it is to feel and to balance both at the same time. I have friends who are also mums and I think something that I think no one told them was also the fact that there's mum guilt Uh and that it creeps up very randomly. Mm. I would say maybe from our parents' generation and earlier, mums were first of all working moms are amazing at, mm. in their generation right because at their generation there are very little options for childcare mm, there are true. lesser options for maternity leave or parental care leave so usually our parents generation are less able to balance their free time with their children so it's more like if mommy has to work then you will just not see mommy for yes. however long mommy is busy so whereas now I think parents maybe from our I don't say trauma but maybe from our own experience we don't want to inflict that on our children where they always feel like your work is chosen over them and I think that might have made us more sensitive to mum guilt where Mm. we feel like oh should I feel bad Mm. that I want to go on a staycation with my girlfriend is it wrong that I want my me time is it weird that I don't want to spend 24-7 with my kids Yes, because you are still your own person right and I wonder how do you balance that especially as an artist where your sense of self and your creative expression is so important Mm. is it difficult to always feel like you have to share your being and your constant presence with your kids. Yeah, okay, yeah. this is something I also definitely struggle with uh, ever since the start of motherhood. So it's something that I wouldn't say that I've come to terms with, but I feel in every aspect, I'm just doing my best. Yeah, so I cannot separate myself in that sense. I give my all to my kids, yet my work needs me, and then I have to balance both at the same time. But then I feel time away from my kids is necessary. My life is not just ultimately being with the kids. Mm. Then my life is also not just about the work. It's, it's both. Mm. So both of these coming together makes my life more fulfilled, more fulfilling and more worthwhile to live. Yeah, so I always tell myself this, that whatever I'm doing, I'm really simply enjoying it to the best of my my ability. So when I'm with my kids, I will try my best to enjoy mm-hmm. the t- uh, my time with them. And there are times where I have to be away at work more often than I'm with them. But at work, I so truly enjoy what I'm doing. This is something that I cannot explain to my kids. They won't understand. They feel so yes. hurt. <laughs> yes, correct. So I won't ever tell them this, but I pray that they will come to know one day uh, when they are in their parenthood era. They will also come to terms with it. So right now, for me, there's no need for me to actually explain to them why I'm doing all this work, why I'm chasing after mm. my crafting mm. journey and dreams. So I find it hard to explain, so I wouldn't do that. And it's not that I don't have guilt, but I've tried my best to make sure that what I'm doing is more worthwhile than thinking about all this guilt and stuff. It takes away energy from me and it also takes away that, that sense of enjoyment. The presence of guilt is there, but I really try to keep it at bay, huh. not let it affect me. I think you have mm. to be, like you said, very intentional to mm. separate the feeling from yes. the truth. Because you can feel mm. guilty, but if deep down you know you love your children yes, more correct. than anything in the world, yes, 
but you also love yourself. And I don't think moms have to only choose one. Yeah. It'd be very sad, right, to know that the moment you choose to be a mom, you cannot be anything else. Yeah, it's, it's very the, one-dimensional. Yeah, mm. and I think that is unfortunately a path that a lot of uh, the older generation women had to take mm. because life was not so yes, easy for them. But I feel that sometimes it is this fear where you can only either be a good mom or a good artist dancer, yes, business owner that makes mm. women scared of becoming mums. Yeah. Right? Correct. Because then people feel, huh, it's either I'm a sucky mum mm. or I quit my job. And this leads me to my second question mm. to you. If there's one fact or truth that you can program into both your children's ah. brain, you will never have to reassure oh. them or you never have to fear that they will not know this or believe this. What would you choose for them to know and believe without a doubt? Yeah, I think Forever. without a doubt, they need to have this unwavering belief that their parents love them unconditionally. Yeah, so this is something I struggle with as well. I do not tell them enough and don't express it enough for them to know. They will ask me, oh, mommy, do you love me? Or why are you not here? Why are you at work? Yeah, so I feel that I'm not expressing enough so much so that they, they will ask still you? ask me such questions. Do you think that... Me. <laughs> you don't express it enough in spoken words. Correct. I feel it's still unspoken words because I try to show true actions, but kids just want to hear it. Yeah, I feel they need this hearing. Portion. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Know, every single day, I think it's really what they need. It's just something that you should give them. Yeah, mm. because actions sometimes it means different things to different people. Yeah, especially if I buy a certain toy like Peppa Pig for my daughter but she does not like Peppa Pig it's not her interest her interest is in anime so it's not that I've shown uh, the wrong kind of action by buying a gift but the interest just does not match what I'm giving is not what she wants to receive so I feel words are yeah. the most reassuring the funny thing though is that we always say talk oh, is cheap as we yeah. get older and we get into our own yeah. relationships we think that <laughs> if actions speak louder than words then yeah, shouldn't actions be enough what I've come to realise is that no, you actually need both. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that mm. if you do a lot of one, you can then don't do actions. Oh, yeah, or that if you do acts of service very well, then you can don't mm. do words of affirmation. Yeah, I must say though, that I think words of affirmation is very, very tough for Asians. Because yeah. our parents don't say to us. So I always tell yeah, my other Asian friends mm. that the universal mother language of expressing love is if they cut fruits for you. <laughs> Like, every mom cuts fruits for their children, mm. either to indirectly say sorry or, you know, make up for a fight <laughs> or to try to ease tension. Suddenly, like, you want, I cut fruits for yeah. you. It's not in our culture to go right up to your daughter's face. Mm. Even as an adult to say, I'm sorry for mm. what I said just now. I'm sorry you felt upset. Yes. Whereas in America, they are very uh, upfront. Right. They call their moms by their first name. Uh-huh. They are very chill about you know, yeah. conflict or confrontation, whereas we are definitely in our culture more avoidant about such interactions. And I think that could be both a challenge and also an opportunity for our generation yes. because we find it hard, but yet in our mind, we know it's important. Yes. And it could be up to us to do do it differently yes, correct. for our children and mm-hmm. their generation. I think knowing that you are deeply loved unconditionally is such a rare thing to possess. You can have unwavering belief that you are a genius, you can have unwavering belief that you are able, but those things will not take you through the toughest of times. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, if not, geniuses will never be depressed. Correct. Geniuses will never be sad. If mm. truly ability 
and ownership of talent is what is so good, then I think it will have solved so many talented people's problems. And I think it's funny how the most important things that are free. Oh, you're so true. The best things in life. Yeah. You reminded me actually when I was a child, Mm. I did ask my mom a lot randomly, Uh, Mommy, you love me? Very randomly. She's Mm. watching TV. She didn't say anything to make me think otherwise. But I always would ask her. And and she of course answered me and said that, Oh, Mommy, of course loves you. But if you ask me now why I ask her, I also don't know why. I don't know whether subconsciously I feel like Mm. my needs are not met and I'm reaching out. It's possible. Yeah. But it could also be... Oh. curiosity maybe they hear the word love a lot in the cartoons they watch oh. or they hear the word love a lot in the songs they sing in, you know, mm. I, like Barney I love you you love me they just wonder oh what is love and do you love so it could just honestly be a curiosity I think based from a kid's point of view and an adult's point of view is very different I think that is something that moms no matter how long a life you let will always wonder whether yes, you have done enough correct. and can you do more yes, yeah correct. and i had this question for you which was if your children grew up and <laughs> became completely uninterested in crafting Ooh. how will you feel Ooh. will you feel fine. oh really <laughs> yeah well because it's not like i have this unfulfilled dream of being a crafter and i want my kids to become crafters as well yeah no i'm t- leaving my dream life now so I also want them to live their dream life whatever it may be in different forms because they're all different people different personality different being entirely so their path is not my path and their choice is not my choice as well mm. yeah actually what you say makes so much sense because just now Cheryl said that her owning her craft no pun intended and being good at it actually probably can make her a better mom. Because if she didn't honour her own desires and she subconsciously impose it Mm. on her kids, is that being a good mom? No, right? You save all that time from not fulfilling your own dreams such that when your kids want to choose, you end up pressuring them. Because 10 years ago, mommy never pursued what she wants. So you're better. (laughs) Don't waste the talent and the resources. Two different paths, two different journeys altogether. Yeah. Mm. So I think actually honouring your own path could possibly be helpful for you to be a, a better mom actually mm. rather than seeing it as if I'm always doing my own thing maybe my kids will be starved of my affection but actually mm. I don't think so if you honour yourself your kids get to benefit from your experience mm-hmm. but they also don't have to feel imposed to yeah, do a path right. that you didn't mm. I had this revelation because I used to think why do all moms and dads mm. In the earlier generation, <laughs> like to make kids learn piano, ah, ballet. Yeah. And I always wondered, how can every mom, every dad think the same way? And I wonder if it's because they themselves in their generation didn't have that oh, fortune true. to learn. And they want to see their kid. Excel in that. That's possible, definitely. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting to think about. How come we will do that to our yeah, kids subconsciously? Correct. Yeah, I have friends mm. who learn piano until grade 8 and I wonder, oh, were you interested? Mm. And they said, no, my mom asked me. Oh my then I'm God. like, oh, your mom play yeah. piano, is it? And then they're like, no, my mom don't know how to play. <laughs> as a kid, <laughs> I'm like, why would your mom ask you to do something that she herself don't do? Correct. Then I realised as I got older, sometimes mm. it's this unfulfilled yes, dream yes, of self yes. that you subconsciously mm. want your kid to enjoy. Yeah. Which is a very interesting to think about. Mm. Yeah. I just want to spend this time getting Cheryl to share some of her answers to my autograph book section. <laughs> I think I've not interviewed someone so far who's my age 
but you know what an autograph book is, right? Yeah. Like oh my gosh, I feel so understood because the people I've interviewed are either older or younger. <laughs> and anytime I say it's an autograph book section, they're like, what's that? It's like what I write for you in your book when we're graduating from primary school. Exactly. <laughs> and you answer questions about yes, yourself so that you correct. can remember during that phase of your life, yes, what were you into? Correct. What do you like? Yeah. So I wanted her to answer these four questions. So the first question uh, I had for her was, do you have a book recommendation and why would you recommend this book to others? Okay, first book recommendation is titled The Mountain Is You. So this one, I feel it's a bit self-help kind of book. Mm. Yeah, so I really like this one of practical books because it helps with my daily life, helps me to repair my mindset, if any. Yeah, so I feel this is something that is very helpful for anyone at all who is maybe just trying to find a path in life. Yeah, and then this book just gets you thinking. How does the title relate to? Obstacles. So Ah. it's basically what truly is the obstacle in life is basically just you. And what about you is maybe perhaps mindset, perspective, etc. Things like that. So the mountain is you. I Mm. see. Okay, cool. The second question I had for you is if you could be remembered for one thing or to be known for one thing, what would it be and why? Okay, remember for one thing, if specifically to the family of mine, it will be my love for them. Mm. But if it's to the outside world who have not really been with me on a daily basis or not know me deeply and entirely, I just want to be remembered for my craft because Mm. that is ultimately what I like to do best and I hope I can be remembered for it. If you knew that you could never fail, what is the first thing that you want to do? If I knew enough, wait, I think I would really explore the universe. (laughs) Are you scared of what's out there? Let's say I tell you, I sponsor you one trip on Elon Musk's (laughs) rocket to go Mm. to outer space with him. Do you think you would actually really dare to do it? I would. Totally would. (laughs) Nice. So you actually don't have any fear regarding it? Mm, Yeah, I think I don't have fear in the sense of travelling to outer space even though it's relatively unknown. I mean, I have fears of my own but they are not anything to do with the universe, the deep dark Mm. space kind of thing. Okay, so this part of my podcast is when I pass down a hypothetical question. So, the guest before me, Amanda, had a question for you. Okay. Uh, So, she asks this question without knowing that you Uh are the guest. So, if you could only eat one dish or oh. one food from your hometown mm-hmm. for the rest of your life? Well, I'm thinking of between nasi brani. <laughs> it's heavy eh. For the rest of your oh, life. Eh, okay, I don't... let me think something. Okay, something I really like, right? Yeah, like putu mayam, you know. <laughs> putu mayam is this messy looking noodle thing, right? Last night I thought it was art. When you were younger? Yeah, yeah. I thought oh. like, wow, this, this is food in art form. I really love the way they just mess up the whole dish. And then I could sprinkle those orange sugar on it. But it's oh. light, it's sweet. Putu Mayam is, for those people who are not from Singapore, it's a very well-known Indian dish. Yeah. So actually, this brings me to the end of my podcast. I just want to take this time to thank Cheryl for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to my time together with Cheryl Tan of Beat Bad Wolf. My personal crafting shifu and motivator. Her creations and workshops never fail to spark a desire in me to get crafty. Her passion and conviction for craft is one that always remind me to keep your eyes on the summit, even when sometimes the mountain is you. I hope you'll find something in life that brings you as much joy and fulfilment as crafting has done for her. 
Thank you for joining me on this incredible journey into the realm of the hypothetical. I'm Jillian, and remember to keep exploring the extraordinary possibilities of a what if. <laughs>